Welcome to the Biodiversity Podcast, an oasis of thought giving space and time to the matters of life around us and how we can support it. Together, we will dive into different topics of biodiversity and hopefully fill your tool belt with the knowledge to make a small difference yourself. Hello and welcome back. Last time we talked about why biodiversity is important and what biodiversity is. This time around, we will dive into ecosystem services, what they are, how they function, and how they support each other. There is a multitude of ecosystem services, and they all have a great value to our planet. I have composed a list of no less than 10 of them, and we will go into them shortly. But first, what is an ecosystem service really? Well, an ecosystem service is performed by the living components of an ecosystem. In our previous episode, we talked about what ecosystems are, more specifically micro and macro ecosystems. And we concluded that it is all living organisms within a specific area. These areas must often consist of different plants, maybe a water source, microorganisms like worms, insects, fungi, and so on. The ecosystems also have macroorganisms such as birds, mammals, or reptiles living there. The ecosystems can develop in a multitude of ways, containing lots of different species. Actually, the greater the variety of species, the healthier and more resilient the ecosystem is. One of the most important services that is a direct reason for the existence for life on Earth is photosynthesis. The process of photosynthesis is quite simple. It all happens in the chloroplast part of the leaves. This place inside the plant cells is a small factory that gets input of water from the roots and carbon dioxide from the air Combined with the sun's energy rays, it produces oxygen and sugar. The oxygen is released into the air, which combined with lots of other elements, provides the optimal living conditions for humans. The sugar is used by the plants as energy to sustain themselves and grow. On a side note, the plants also use their sugar supply to feed mycelia in the soil as an exchange for other nutrients. So, the air that we breathe in every day would be of a totally different quality if it wasn't for the balance between carbon dioxide and oxygen that plants keep. This is exactly why the deforestation here and around the world is so dangerous, It, among other things, reduces the amount of oxygen in the air and releases more carbon dioxide. Moving on, the next service I'd like to address is water filtration. When rainwater seeps through the soil layers, it gets purified from polluted elements. Thus, groundwater quality is, for the most part, assured to be useful for most life forms. It is an essential process for the survival of organisms and imperative for the successful evolution of Homo sapiens. The next service is energy and raw materials. This is an interesting one because we don't necessarily associate plants with resources such as fuel, soil, and water. 
But this is where many of our cherished resources come from, plants. More precisely, it is dead organic material that has created raw materials such as coal, timber, limestone, peat moss, oil, and many more. And at the rate we are consuming these raw materials, we really need to step up the re-establishment of plants. Remember this mindset of biodiversity is not for the sake of the planet. The planet would thrive more without our kind, but this is to protect and save the human species. That brings us to climate service. I think we can all agree on the fact that we take a lot of things for granted. One of the things is oxygen. Optimal breathing conditions have existed on our planet for so incredibly many years that not many of us would ever think of it being otherwise. But the gloomy news is that it actually can change. The air quality can become very different than what we know today. This means that we can experience issues with the way we freely breathe and live life. But the good news is we can do things to change this tendency. Air quality improves with the amount of plants that get to exist on Earth. That is why big untouched forests are very important and why it is essential that we do not deforest more than highly necessary. Therefore, replanting will always be to our benefit. Moving on to pest control. Insects live, breed, and thrive in ecosystems. And the more diverse the ecosystem, the more heterogeneity there will be among the different insects. These booming, thriving ecosystems are the perfect place to support new generations of species that balance out the ones we consider pests. Almost all pest insects have a natural enemy, and by having more monocultures around, we eliminate the habitats where these natural enemies can live and thrive. If we disturb natural faunas too much, we will sometimes create irregulations, which is often the case with monobiology. Having many issues with pests will for many cause them to look for solutions, and the readily available solutions that have been on the market is chemically produced repellents. These have been widely spread since the 1950s and are almost considered normal in our society. However, there is the issue that it slowly undermines the exact thing we are trying to prevent. Pesticides are a quick fix for pest problems in crops and gardens, but have the unfortunate lasting effect of killing every other insect on those plants and contribute by pest resilience towards the chemicals. Instead, we can work towards better long-term sustainable solutions. You see, if we preserve the biodiversity, we slowly build up environments where insects can live and find a more natural balance. In turn, we reap the benefits of healthier plants and produce. This brings us to our next point, which is habitats. Our ecosystems are natural living spaces for micro and macro organisms. Most importantly, these are spaces where organisms feed, multiply, and hibernate, and many insects are dependent on certain plant species. 
That means insects have developed a dependence on specific plants, typically indigenous plants. Indigenous means that the plants have lived in a certain area for hundreds of years, are well adapted to the climate and soil conditions, and are interconnected with specific organisms that need them in order to complete their life cycle. That is why we need to get to know our indigenous species, find out which insects live off of them, and plant more of these in our landscape. Some of these species are what we call key species. Those are indigenous and form a wide web of symbiotic relationships with organisms. Such a plant here in Denmark would be the great oak Quercus robur, which is an essential foundation for the support of Danish nature. Therefore, it is important to know and promote such key species. Okay, so the next thing up in our marathon of ecosystem services is soil formation. When we talk about soil formation, we focus on the topsoil layer. The topsoil is the one that consists of composed dead organic materials. These materials could be leaves, bark, wizard flowers, uneaten fruit and berries, carcasses from rodents and other small animals. Basically, everything that was once alive but now is dead can continue the cycle of life by enriching the soil. The topsoil is created by the help of insects, worms, fungi, and bacteria, who slowly break down the larger organisms into smaller nutrient packages. The nutrients found in the topsoil are comparable to the greatest buffet in the world. This rich and juicy topsoil is what plants thrive on and is a chain in the natural ecological cycle. Since topsoil consists of dead organic materials, it is super relevant that we bring more organic material into play to keep this natural cycle flowing. If there isn't enough topsoil, an alternative could be adding nutrients in the form of fertilizers. These can be organically or chemically produced. However, a more sustainable solution would be to repopulate the vegetation. This fittingly brings us to nutrient cycles. As mentioned earlier, the nutrient cycle is part of the natural decomposition cycle. Let's say that there is plenty of good topsoil that the plants can absorb through their root system via the water supply. The plants use nutrients to develop a strong resilience and to grow bigger. All the nutrients go directly into the plant, which means whenever there is a part of the plant that dies, it can decompose and become a part of the topsoil and therefore into the nutrient cycle again. Our second to last is especially relevant in dry climates and for all city dwellers, and that is temperature regulation. Plants, and mostly trees, use up a lot of water, which they then trans-evaporate through their leaves. Since trees have foliage, they also are the greatest emitters of water. Therefore, they help the most in cooling down cities. Trans-evaporation cools down the surrounding areas because it emits so much water into the air and the water particles take longer time to heat up than air on its own. In some cities, the air can get so heated that it is unbearable to go outside. That's why we need such oases as trans-evaporation. 
More cities have accepted this fact as well and are implementing more greenery and trees throughout the former concrete jungles. Well, we have talked a lot about all sorts of ways in which we can help bring more biodiversity into our lives to preserve conditions for future life on Earth optimally. But the last thing we would like to add as a service is aesthetic value. This is very important because we as humans have a hard time engaging in projects that produce long-term results. Fortunately, this is where aesthetics come into play. Aesthetics is something we enjoy and can see value in right away. There is no reason to think that long-term and short-term solutions can't work together. We can definitely fulfill almost all of our goals for biodiverse ecosystems and landscape. You've been listening to another edition of the Biodiversity Podcast. This program is supported by Green Academy Aarhus. Join us next time and remember you are already a part of the change we all need.